The title of my talk this morning is Trading the Price versus Trading the Basis. And the second talk this morning is Tom's talk, which is entitled the mechanics of the basis or how to calculate the basis and we make it an interactive thing I will start with my exposition which will take less than 45 minutes and then I will invite Tom to make his statement and there will be a uh, dialogue between the two of us and then the audience will be able to join with questions and I leave it to our good chairman Daryl to call uh, the break for coffee so that's up to you with or without the clock <laughs> so if you see me needing coffee it's, the break's on <laughs> it's coming soon I start by telling you how I first learned about the basis which I thought was interesting. The year was uh, 1972 and uh, during that year the Winnipeg Commodity Exchange in Canada in the province of Manitoba it's the main commodity exchange in Canada engaged basically in grain trading, Canada being a, a great grain producing country the uh, exchange started ta t uh, trading gold futures and that was about five years before the United States started trading gold futures in Canada they never had a ban on gold ownership or gold trading whereas in the United States the, the ban was lifted only later in 1975-76 uh, so in 1971 Canada was presumably the first country in the world where uh, gold futures started trading uh, as, as you can appreciate as long as the gold price was fixed at $35 an ounce, there was no possibility of trading gold futures because it assumes volatility. Speculators are attracted to futures trading by the promise of a profit and they can make a profit only if the price fluctuates. But since the price of gold was uh, fixed, uh, there was no chance. However, the United States could no longer maintain a fixed price and in 1971 in, uh, President Nixon uh, defaulted on the gold obligations, the international gold obligations of the United States and immediately the gold price was destabilized and also all currency exchanges were destabilized. So then the possibility opened up for uh, trading gold futures and Canada took advantage of it but I 
understood that they cleared it with the U.S. Treasury first. They didn't, they didn't want to antagonize. So they got the green light from uh, Washington and they started trading. Now, I was always interested in uh, tr uh, the gold market and uh, mainly the theoretical aspects. So I went to Winnipeg to study it at first hand. I realized this was a unique historical opportunity, something that had, ne had never been done in the world before. And when I got to Winnipeg, I, I lived in, on the east coast in Newfoundland, and as you know, Winnipeg is about the geographical center, so it's halfway between the Atlantic and the Pacific. So anyhow, I went to Winnipeg and I found out that they would not share any information. I had to be a member. So willy-nilly, uh, I had to uh, buy a seat <laughs> on the exchange, uh, which was a pretty penny to me, and especially so because I didn't intend to do profit, I just wanted to study uh, the trading patterns and whatever I could. So uh, anyhow, I, I, I thought I made that investment. I didn't think at that time that I would have to live to 2008 to get a return. <laughs> But I didn't really do it uh, in the hope of a return. I was just uh, eager to learn. And learn, uh, learn I did. Of course, most of the traders around were grain traders. Gold trading was so new that uh, there was really uh, no accumulated knowledge about that, but uh, the grain traders were willing to share their information. So one man who was the chief trader of Cargill, which was a big, uh, it may still be around, the big American grain trading company with lots of elevators all over the continent, um, uh, he was willing to talk and uh, we became friends and he told me, uh, he answered all my questions. And uh, during these conversations, the, uh, I learned uh, as much as I could about the basis and I was, it, it was an eye-opener to me. I uh, didn't know anything about it before and this is what he told me. He said, as a grain trader, I have to be ready 24 hours a day, 7 days a week and uh, 52 weeks a year to buy or sell grain. And I could get a phone call in the dead of the night, somebody offering to sell or somebody offering to buy grain. So I had to be ready with a bid price and an ask price. However, he said, and that's the twist, uh, I am not interested in the actual price. I'm interested in the basis. So he said, I have a bid price 
for the basis and I have an offered price for the basis. So if somebody wanted to uh, sell, I asked him what is his basis at which he would sell and somebody wanted to buy, what is uh, he offering, what price for the basis. And uh, of course the reason was given immediately uh, to me and it became very clear to me that all these, this trading takes place on a hedged basis. So in other words, when the Cargill trader buys cash grain, he immediately hedges by selling an equivalent amount of grain in the futures market. And when he sells his cash grain, he lifts the hedges, which means he buys back his his future contract. So uh, this is something new, and then of course I uh, went through with him all these other things which I already discussed with you uh, yesterday and day before, that um, the basis is a more reliable uh, guideline than the price. It's less volatile for one thing, but it's also, uh, it can be influenced uh, more easily by the traders than the price can. Uh, and the price depends on so many uh, outside factors, including the weather and uh, the will of God and all kinds of things, uh, unexpected, so that those traders who trade the price are at a great disadvantage, a very definite disadvantage. Uh, more and more traders trade the basis rather than the price. And they are doing so much better. Their profit margin is multiple of, of uh, what, the, uh, what those traders can make who are trading the price. Trading the basis is the wave of the future. This was uh, this was pretty clear, and if uh, and and there's one reason why not every trader switches to basis trading from price trading, and the reason is that it takes a little bit, bit of intellectual discipline, and uh, it is uh, sometimes a little bit counterintuitive the basis trading as I will give you one example uh, presently. So uh, this is the background I had so many years ago, and uh, I would have anticipated that over the years there will be a huge literature on the basis, especially at the gold and silver basis. Now, sure enough, uh, the grain trading uh, has been worked out. There are lots of manuals, some of them are as thick as a thousand pages, which uh, are available on the market, not in ordinary bookstores, because this is not a kind of book which would appeal to a large audience, but the specialists. So the, these manuals are written by specialists to uh, other specialists who uh, try to deepen their knowledge and understanding and improve their trading skills. But to my utter surprise, 
there is still nothing available on the gold basis and the silver basis. So I, uh, I'm here now preaching a gospel, but I couldn't give you anything in writing which you could take home with you. I'm sorry, I actually was going to produce something, at least a kind of syllabus, which uh, would be helpful to have. But with this um, uh, financial crisis, I, uh, I have found myself overwhelmed in so many demands uh, that uh, I just uh, couldn't produce it. However, this is not a promise, please. <laughs> I have been taken. <laughs> People tr uh, were trying to take me by words because I did make uh, various promises over the years to produce this and that and that. And I I just couldn't make good on it. So I'm not making a promise. But I'm just saying that I have a high priority to produce at least the syllabus. And we have already discussed with Philip that he will keep uh, a mailing list, e your email addresses, and when, uh, if and when such uh, a document will be available, then he will contact you and then send you a copy, a complimentary copy, because you are my, my uh, experimental farm. <laughs> And I'm very grateful. <laughs> Don't take the word in a bad sense. Take it in the best sense. I, we are all in it together, and it's a give and take. I want to assure you I'm learning just as much as I hope you can learn from this uh, interactive meeting we have here. So after this introduction, I want to... Uh, go to the flip chart and give you some clues what is involved in trading the basis versus trading the price. I start with the trading the price because this is something which is more or less familiar to everybody. You can imagine that you are a trader on the floor of the commodity exchange, which means that you are making a market. You are buying and selling. You buy in the hope that you can sell at a profit. So the price, you are trading the price. The price is your guidelines. It's your guiding star because it's not certain that you buy first. It could be that you sell first. It's possible in the commodity exchanges that you sell before you buy. And uh, the mechanism of that may not be familiar to everybody here, but you know you put down earnest money. This is what is known as margin, the technical name. Margin. And this allows you to, it's about 10% of the uh, commitment, and uh, it allows you to buy, and uh, if the price goes with you, then you are sitting pretty. If the price goes against you, you are not sitting so pretty anymore, but uh, 
you get a margin call, and if you meet the margin call, which means you have to add more earnest money, then you can hang on to your position. So uh, this is not what I'm going to talk about. I just tell you that it's not necessary that you buy first before you sell, because it's possible, and uh, there's nothing objectionable about that, that you sell first and uh, buy later. So in our, the technical languages, you create a short position, and then you cover this short position later when you buy your contract back. So we are talking about trading the price and this means that you buy I sorry you buy low and sell high. Not always. Well, you hope. And the order is not important. It's not necessarily number one, number two, but it could be the other way around. The important thing is that you derive an income from the difference. Uh, this is your spread. You are selling higher, or try to sell higher than you have bought. And that difference, that spread, is your profit. Now, we want to compare this with trading the basis. I didn't have to explain what buying and selling means, because obviously buying means buying the commodity and selling the commodity, which could be grain, could be gold or silver. But now I have to explain what it means to uh, buying the basis. What does it mean that we that I buy the basis. It means that I buy the spot commodity. I just abbreviate and say buy spot and more or less simultaneously sell futures. So this is a complex transaction, it's an what, what it is is an arbitrage uh, transaction having these two steps and compare it to selling the basis it means that selling futures and buying 
buying the future. Buying, I'm too close to the flip chart. So selling the basis means selling spot. and buying <coughs> futures. Now, this is not difficult to remember because if you keep in mind that you are always going from a hedged position into another hedged position, then it's very clear. Uh, buying the basis involves buying the spot, but you've got to hedge. So you sell the corresponding amount of futures. And selling the basis means selling the spot, but since you have to have a hedged position, you are uh, buying the future. Okay, creating a short position in the futures market. So we just have to extend our language, buying and selling, to the basis, and that is what it means. Now, one thing which shows up from this is the interesting observation that the simple rule, buy low, sell high, which we have had with us ever since we were little kids. I mean, when little kids first learn about uh, buying, selling, whatever it is, stamps or marbles or this or that, they are aware that you want to buy low because later on you want to sell at a higher price. This we have to drop because when it when you extend the concept of trading the basis, the, the trading from the price to the basis, then a new rule applies. Namely, you buy high and sell low. So this is replaced by this. Buy high and sell low. Now if you put it into context with what I said yesterday and the day before that the basis for gra grains is cyclical and the basis for monetary metals is not cyclical but does have a definite trend, then this becomes clear. Because in trading, you want to move with the basis and the basis for monetary metals shows a falling trend. So you try to buy high because you expect that time is on your side. Well, you have to still have to be lucky to some extent, but not to the same great extent as you have to be lucky in trading the price. But anyhow, you have a strong back wind. The basis is eroding with time. So all you have to do is sit tight and in 
it's good time, the basis will contract sufficiently that you can sell at a profit. So this is the big trick which you have to remember that with, with the new rule by the basis when it's high, because you can have a good chance to be able to sell it when it's low, you can switch from an old-fashioned trading strategy to a modern trading strategy. For grains, is not so modern because it has been around for over 100 years, but for monetary metals, it's fairly new, and it works the same way. You just have to change this rule with that rule and you are in business. So uh, I would like to ask Tom to comment on this and then say more about how you actually calculate the basis which would give you the signal. Because the main thing is that you discard more or less, not entirely, but more or less you describe, discard the price as a signal for market action and replace the price with the basis as a signal for market action. And of course, then you have to know. Because nobody will quote you, well, they will, there are, I'm sure, firms which quote you the basis for gold and silver. But more uh, typically, I think you have to calculate the basis yourself. Or better still, I, I, I tell you why I don't like the word calculate the basis. Because when you say calculate the basis, suggests that a snapshot will give you the information, and it's not. It's what you really have to have is put it into context. So to see how the basis, what you calculate, has arrived at this stage and in which direction it's going from here. So really, you are looking at a process more than just a single quote. So once you know how to get that information, then you are in business. Just one thing before uh, Tom will take over from me. I want to say that the basis is, is your guiding star. And, and this is how you have to, uh, have to uh, treat it. It gives you, it, it, it's a powerful tool, but a tool it is. It is not the last word, and uh, there are a lot of things, including intuition and uh, aptitude for the type of uh, market action you are following and uh, so you you only have a guideline and a tool and then you just have to take it from there now i'm not suggesting that everybody here will ever trade the basis however you want to understand how those who make a living out of the market are using the basis to their advantage. Because that knowledge will put the whole 
landscape in a different line. That's one thing. And the other thing is that we are going to discuss later on, tomorrow I guess is the last day, but we still have uh, time to do that. We are going to discuss how, even if you are not trading the basis in the sense of buying and selling, but you can still get the clues. So for instance, timing of your buying of gold or silver could very well be done using the basis as your guiding star. So I will ask Tom to comment or even criticize what I have to say. And no. Add your, <laughs> add your no, I think that was a very good uh, exposition. Thank you. Thank you. I'm I'm, I hope that uh, you also share <laughs> my colleagues. Okay. Here it is. Okay, I, what I'm going to try to do, and I, we don't have a lot of time, so if oh. someone doesn't understand this, I'm going to try to go through this relatively quickly. Uh, come see me afterwards. We've got a couple of years left here. But, uh, um, first thing, Professor mentioned along the way that there are firms that, that, that publish the basis. I actually haven't found that, so that's not really criticism. But um, but there's something that's akin to the basis, which is uh, called the forward rate itself. Uh, and maybe I'll have a chance to explain that, but I don't at this moment. But there's a website for the LBMA. I may have this backwards, but lbma.uk.org or .uk. Uh, if you go on the website there, there's a, there's a tab, uh, and I can maybe email this to you guys later. But control for the email addresses. But, uh, but there's a tab where you can go, and that, that basically it, it, it's about the gold and silver forward rates. And that they have it for one month, two months, three months, six months, 12 months. These are the rates that they actually use to generate the lease rates that you see at Kitco and various other places. But in fact, when you analyze what these forward rates really are, they are really, in effect, the London basis. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. And, and lateral over there, so you can hear. Okay. Uh, you guys can hear? Okay. Um, the London basis uh, uh, forward rate, we talked about having the basis in different locations, so this would essentially be the basis in London. This would be someone selling uh, metal forward in London, and uh, the forward rate represents the, the difference between the spot price, what they could sell it at today, or what they could sell it at one month, two months, three months, six months, 12 months in the future. So uh, this is about as close as you can get to the uh, the idiot's guide <laughs> finding the basis meeting. You know, you can just go there and you don't need to do any calculations. Um, it, it has some problems with it, but it's but it's, it's not a bad tool, and I've used it a few times before. Um, and in fact, I also chart this. Um, the, um, how do we have? We have 10 minutes. Okay, so I think I'm going to So if we get a little bit more complicated and get into actually, okay, how do I calculate the basis? Um, I actually personally use another website, and there's many ways you can get data for Comex futures, but this one to me is very easy. You just go there, um, you go to barchart.com, and uh, they have charts there, but they also have the daily data, and actually if you go and scroll over the chart, you can get the daily prices going back like 15 years if you do the custom charts the right way. Um, this is not, you wouldn't be able to calculate the basis from the charts themselves, 
you actually have to use your calculator Excel, and I'm going to try to do that real quick here. But um, this is where you can go get the data. There's a tab on there that's, I think it says futures, and then you go to metal, and then you can do it for gold and silver. Um, I was trying to pull up with some, some issue with the internet, so I'm not going to be able to use exact prices, but I'll try to get pretty close as an example now. Um, I go to, if I go to bar chart and I go to metal futures, blah, 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 I get to the page for gold, and it's going, to, it's going to show all of the contracts for COMEX. And the first one they're going to show is a cash contract. Um, unfortunately, again, I'm not going to have time to get into this, but the cash contract is effectively the spot price or an attempt to use these algorithms. I mentioned this a couple of days ago how you, people use algorithms to try to come up with what the spot price would be. It's an attempt to come up with what the cash price of gold or silver might be. So there's one, one sort of leg of your basis. Um, so let's say, to, I'm going to use price last night, let's say the cash price for gold was last night was $710 per ounce of gold. Okay. Now in order to get the other leg of the basis, we need to get a futures price. And it, it matters only in, in, in the mechanics as to what particular date you pick. But for now, I'm just going to use the December because that's still the active contract. Uh, so you look at the December 08. Okay, price, and let's say that's, I'm just going to make this, actually, what I should have done is, uh, oh, let's see how this goes. Okay, I'm going to say that's 720. It's actually much closer, um, but uh, just for illustration here, just under working with round numbers. Uh, so let's say the December 08 price is, is 720. And um, there's this issue actually using the closing prices because it turns out that this cash price, the closing time of this, is not the same time as the closing price of the futures. So this is just an example and it demonstrates though how hard it is to get you know, the data to line up. It's very important because the more volatile the gold or silver price is, the easier for the price to move literally within seconds. So if those prices aren't exactly measured at the same time, you're going to get readings that are off. But again, for the purposes of demonstration here, this is a closing cash price. This is a, uh, this is a closing uh, futures price. So now we can take the difference. This is ten dollars, right? And that's uh, and that's contango, right? So the futures price is higher. Um, and so a lot of people that, that I've been helping with in the last couple of months on the internet uh, that have kind of found me. So the guy was trying to do my own basis calculation. Kind of stop here and say, oh, okay, now I found the basis. It's ten dollars. Okay, but there's a problem with this because, as uh, the professors mentioned, uh, as you come closer to the date that the future expires, the size of the basis decreases. So this $10 number is just an abstraction because in a week it'll be smaller, but you don't know if it's smaller because the basis has actually shrunk or because you're simply closer to the time that the future is expiring. So what you have to do is you have to convert this $10 into essentially a daily rate. Um, and for that, you need to make an assumption, and this is where it gets a little bit complicated, as to how many days there are to the expiration of this futures contract. You know, well, technically, the futures actually expires sort of on the last day of the month when someone can still take delivery. But for practical purposes, the first time that you can take delivery on a futures contract is the last day of the prior month, which would be November 30th. But again, for the purposes here, I'm just going to say, let's cut through all of that. Let's just say, you know, it's December 1st. And this is actually what I do in my calculation. I just take an assumed date because if you use the same convention, you know, consistently, 
um, it in some ways doesn't matter. It does, but but you know, again, for for, for general purposes, it doesn't. So we're going to take the dates here, and it is what is today? November twelfth. I lost it. Now thirteenth. Thirteenth. Okay. Oh, great. The thirteenth. Okay. December one. So we get the difference between those dates. Eighteen. Seventeen. Again, I don't know how you, you know you can count the days as this being the first date or the day after. It doesn't matter as long as you're consistent. So 18 dates, dates, okay. So the daily rate out of this, um, it's going to be 10 divided by 18, okay. And I probably, should, if I just would have been a little smart, I would say just use 11 because then it would have been 20. <laughs> it's going to be someplace that's say around point. Digits because sometimes because I'm using such large numbers in reality these are like 0 .05, 0 .005. They tend to be pretty small numbers, but it doesn't work well. I'm probably just sitting here doing so. Um, so this is a daily rate now. Okay, this is a number that should now be comparable regardless of how far you are away from the nearest future's expiration. And this is a number that you can use even let's say now you're in December using the March futures. You can still come up with sort of this number. Unfortunately, this this is just a fraction, and you can chart it. Running out of time. <laughs> um, we we can chart it, but um, it 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 intuitively doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So what I do is I take this sort of daily rate and I convert it to what is the equivalent of the interest rate. Um, and I think we talked earlier about contango being sort of this three to four percent. When we're saying that that was really this converted annualized rate of this basis. So I'm going to take this 0.5. Multiply by 365. Okay, and I've made it really hard, but 20%, uh, not more than that, right? Slightly less than twice. It's in that range, okay? So obviously, you know, you can tell this is this is silly because you know we've already said that it doesn't get above four or five percent. But yet, for the purposes of being able to do this calculation, you've now come up with this annualized rate. And interestingly enough. This is the same thing that you would essentially get. So some accountants someplace at the LBMA does a similar calculation using their numbers and comes up with this forward rate, which is the other. What's that? Right, right, okay. But but we get the point here. So um everyone can analyze. Um, the point is that, that this that you you've converted this now to a percentage, an annualized percentage, uh, because you have a daily rate multiplied by the number of days, divide by 100, right? And then you can, you know, you can make comparisons now between even this forward rate and this rate that you calculated. This is actually, to me, a pretty interesting thing to do. And, and you can actually do this in five time in the next couple of days, next day now, right? <laughs> um, I'll try to demonstrate that how you can actually do this using, for example, the ETFs and some other products. Um, but one, one of, this is one, one thing I actually use as trading tool, an advanced trading tool, that I do this calculation and I compare it to what's going on in London. Because the COMEX is in New York. So in effect, you're, you've created a, a differential between the two sets of bases. And it, what it says to me when the two are moving in opposite directions is there's more physical demand in London. 
versus physical demand in London and New York, and vice versa. Um, so that's that's sort of the, the calculation in, in a very small nutshell. Is there any questions on, on this account? Yeah, you, could, you probably could see that. Yeah, that's right. So do you do the calculation once a month, or do you do it every day and then transfer that to the same day the next month? You can do that. That's a good question. So I would do it every day. I would use the the this in this example December 08 contract until it got to expiration, uh, and so each closing cash price. This, this cash price that's on this bar chart um, website is just a once a day you know, price. There's no open high low, there's no intraday or anything like that. So there's, there's severe limitations to it. But this is the easiest way that, it's, you know, that you can yourself easily go and find a cash price. Because otherwise you're, it's going to be virtually impossible to find a cash price unless you have advanced trading software. Um, if, you have a, if you have a Forex speed, you can get a gold spot, a silver spot price. Uh, you might be able to do something with that. Frankly, that's something I've been trying to do for over a year. I haven't gotten very far with it because you have to make these calculations, and the soft, you know, the charting software is not advanced enough for you to be able to do that. So, in effect, what you have to do is get the spot price downloaded into like Excel or some other software you can manipulate and divide and take the number of days and annualize, and then chart that. Um, now, there's potentially there's a there's a service called eSignal that allows a very significant amount of back. Um, sort of a behind-the-scenes programming that we're trying to see if there's actually a way we can put, put these calculations literally inside the program so that this would be a live feed. And if it occurs, then I'm going to actually have this part of my service. Maybe try to do a deal with eSignal, you know, allow that, you know, allow this feed to happen sort of live or delayed, and then, you know, sort of, you know, give an advertisement that anyone that wants to sign up and actually, you know, do their own charting with this and they go to e-signal, but it's, it's, it's pretty expensive. It's like $150 a month or something like that. So you'd have to be, but, but to do this, this would be like sort of the holy grail if you could really do this, in a, you know, on even a delayed basis throughout the day. Now, of course, the bullion banks, you know, they, they have, they, you know, they have the computer systems and programmers. They no doubt have this in any second of the day. They, they know what the basis is. So, you know, it does show that there's, you know, as just regular people, we have limitations as to what, you know, what, what, what we can do. But, uh, one of my hopes is that in raising the basis sort of to a, uh, you know, elevating in the professor too is that we'll get eventually, you know, people that, you know, that are in the business of programming and this kind of thing so that we can do this and so, so us little guys can have essentially the same thing with the bullying back. So, question? Do you like the time of day where the you stand up? Do you know the time of day where the December contract futures actually closes and the price is well, yeah. Could you repeat the question it? was that uh, what time of day do the December, in this case, December futures contract close? And I mean, my, my, my real question is, I suppose, if that time of day is, say, you know, 5 p.m., could you get the spot price for 5 p.m. by looking at my spot prices? We try to get the timing to be a bit more closely correlated. Right. You can do that. Now, um, the... They've recently changed the closing dates of, of, of the futures on the COMEX because the electronic trading window. So the prices you get here now aren't, it used to be 11.25 a.m. Central Time in the U.S. Okay. Uh, you can try to get, again, it, literally a few seconds one, one way or the other. Because, because the, the truth, now, if, I, if I really put the number here, like the December will probably be like 7.11.1. So it's $1.10, you know. Gold fluctuates that by you know these days seconds, but certainly by minutes. So, if 
this cash price is uncertainty. So that's right. um, how would you expect the futures to change? Like the December, you say 720 there. Would the January be somewhere near that, or is it going to be well away from how does the futures as they go out? So if this was a, so the example here, if you had a perfect progression of the basis and the cash, and this is let's say this was a month and it's seven ten seven twenty, then you'd expect the next month to be like seven thirty. Um, well, what it actually happens is that um, well, I'm not going to get into it, but but it starts to, to sort of compress over time. Um, it's a function of the, uh, the percentage. Oh, why did you use backwards? Set yourself a basis at which you will buy, like you said, a little buy, and just sit and watch. And you, you know, when you can get your cash goal at the price vis-a-vis -vis the uh, futures, you make the you make the deal. And whether it's on eBay or wherever the cash goal is, right. instead of trying to get the signal, just set it at a, at a limit you like. The, the way I would recommend this is this is actually you buy good. high and sell low. So One of the things I do is I, I actually, you know, I've done this before. I, I set a I used to have two futures. So, for example, if I have, this is December. Now, this is coming into expiration in a few days. So, this is pretty close to cash, you know. And then I would say, let's take the let's take the April, 09, okay. And let's say that's at seven, uh, seven thirty, okay. So there's a ten. So you can actually enter. This is a spread order. I want to pay, you know, ten dollars for this, but I can put a limit order and say, well, when this reaches fifteen. I, w I want to buy, and I just let it go because I know that 15, for example, is remember we talked four percent is like the top of this contango range. I said, you know, that's like represents four percent. So I figure out what that spread is, and I put an order in, and it reaches that, and then from there I just let you know let it play out. That would be one way to play this sort of fluctuation in the in this contango back and forth, which it does happen. So you know, it does kind of spike from day to day. So as long as you know you've only got a limited amount of loss, it's not going to go that much further. But it can go, you know, infinitely in the other direction. Meaning the spot, you know, the, the closer price. Now, you know, you'd have to be really close to, you know, the expiration month. And in reality, you know, this, you know, the December futures can only go to infinity if there's enough metal to deliver on every contract. So that's not going to be the case. So there'll be some limiting, but it could go up, up a long ways. So that's actually one trading strategy that that you can use with something like this. Um, there's other questions down here. Yeah, I'm going to a simple line, and uh, I have never done any visual trading, so uh, I could understand what the professor uh, explained, um, and that made a lot of sense. So I'm trying to relate that to what you're uh, putting out there, and uh, what is the basis there? Is your uh, uh, converted angle uh, interest rate? That's, that's your basis, right? So can you can you tell me if that's your basis today? Well, that's that's sort of the next step. But as I think Rudy said, you know, prompted that. Let's say you look at a long-term average of what the basis is, and and to answer the question, this is the basis. You know, the the just the, the just the the absolute number. If you only care about that day, but if you want to chart it historically, then you want to make it into daily rate. And then if you want to relate it to interest rates or the forward rates or some other markets, then you have to annualize it. So you can use each of these, but um, but let's say you want to go with the percentage rate and you say, well, the top that I see is like 4%, then that would be one thing that you could use to say, well, when it's around 4%, this is a good time to buy it, because I know it's going to fluctuate you know, and go down below 4%.
but I'm pretty certain that most of the time it barely ever goes above 4%, and when it does, it doesn't stay there you know, too long. And if it does go a little bit above it, I might lose on this trade, but not a lot. So that would be one example of how you would relate that to basis trading as opposed to price trading. Here you don't care what the prices could be. That could be 200, that could be 500, 800. You only care that if it reaches this 4%, this is the time to enter this trade, and then you might have a target of exiting at 2%. You might look at charts and see, well, this tends to bottom out at 2%, and it fluctuates back and forth. I wish it was that easy, because I wouldn't be sitting here. You know, I, I think about <laughs> million dollars already, you know? But I'm just saying, you know, this is a concept, okay? So, if it, you know, then it goes down to 2%, then you sell it. You know, then when it goes back to 4%, you buy it again, and you just go back and forth. And 2%, of, you know, that price is whatever it is, 15, you know, $15, but it's 100 ounces per contract, so that's... $1,500, you know, so if you can do this once a month and just set these rates automatically ahead of time, the limit orders, and just leave it there, who wouldn't like to make just $1,500? If, if that was that easy, right, but it's, it's, there's, it's more complicated. Um, but there's certainly times, you know, if I look back historically, there are times when you could have done this, uh, and you just get the fluctuation. When, when you say average, do you mean moving average? The moving average would be one way of trying to uh, smooth out these inconsistencies that occur over time. Because so, any one data point, I don't ever trust. So would it be a 50-day or a 200-day or? A you know, I'm not. You know, I'm not really like a the, the charting like Maven or anything. But what I found is that in order to still be able to see the fluctuations of the data, but average it out enough, 20 days seems to be a... Uh, 20 days seems if you're, to be... If you're looking at daily daily data points, like closing prices like this, I find that 20 days gives you enough of these fluctuations where you can kind of pick tops and bottoms to, to go between ranges, but it's not, you know, because if you do a more longer average, it's going to smooth it out. So, okay, where's that top? You, can, you can start losing the ability to, you know, see where the... The focus, the sharpness. The, yeah, the, well, yeah, you start, you know, so let me... I mean, so if you got, let's say, 20 days, you might see the average go like this and say, oh, okay, here, you know, here's my, you know, here's sort of my ranges, right? But maybe the same thing, a 50-day average would maybe just look like this. You know, I mean, we're in there, you know, you can't really see. It's just too flat. So the, the you know the distinction is you don't want it to be like too much like this. You want it to have enough of a you know sort of. Uh, but again, I'm not. I'm probably many of you guys here would be able to figure this out better than I can. Um, okay. If there's any other questions, we can save them for. Uh, we can save them for probably later this afternoon or tomorrow. I'll be up here again a, a couple more times. So. Uh, all right. So we'll take a 15-minute break and resume.